Welcome to Gardening Naturally with Jeff Ferris. Call or text Jeff now with your gardening and landscape questions. 512-836-0590. Good morning, gardener. This is Gardening Naturally and it's going to be an interesting week. I want to call it a Goldilocks week. The temperatures... The daily highs will be roughly between 60 and 70. That's really nice weather. The good thing is the lows, um, they don't show anything. Everything's between 40 and 50 for a low. That's almost spring weather. Now, for the last week of January, that's probably unusual that we have this kind of great weather, but this is garden. I mean, sunny days, uh, 60 to 70. Oh, that's, that's nice. Just go out for a walk. And you know, I've been noticing that there, there's a fair amount of walking trails around uh, where I live. And there's a surprising number of people on them lately. It was just nobody. It was too cold. But now we're, you know, they're wearing a jacket. And it's a pretty day. And folks are going out and enjoying the weather. Now, if you're a gardener, this is awesome sauce type weather. This is how to get out there, take care of your winter garden, get it ready, or start working on getting your spring garden ready. Now, I was awful lucky for the last week. I got a total of four and a half inches of rain. It was spread out fairly well. Um, I did have a fair amount of runoff, but for the, you know, for the long run, it was a nice soaking rain, which is what we're looking for. We want to see that water soak in nice and deep. Hopefully, we can get some more of it. They talk about this being um, wetter than normal for the next couple of weeks, first week of February on. That would be nice. We still need to catch up. Where the rain fell was a little to the south, just a little. It would be nice to get it in the northern part of the area to fill up aquifers and lakes, but we'll take what we can get. It is better to fill the lakes than to reduce the draw from the lakes. That makes sense? It's one thing to keep your cabinets stocked, and if they are stocked, it, it's one thing to not draw so much from them. So we still need rain. We need rain. It looks like we may get some, and the rain that we got recently, especially with these just luscious temperatures, that should help soak the ground some. We should see some improvement. Our trees, shrubs, You'll even see your turf start to brighten up a little bit for you. 
course, that means mowing it. But this would be a great time to get yourself a fertilizer for your turf, if you haven't already. Um, a granule dissolves slowly into the soil. It does a good job of hanging around. And there are a host of fantastic fertilizers that you can use. All very good. Now, one thing you could also start to look at is can you get ahead of the chiggers? You know they're coming. They're the worst thing in the garden we can run into. So I've uh, been using granulated sulfur. It's easy to spread. I've got a lawn spreader. It works really well. And a 50-pound bag will cover supposedly an acre of ground. So it's pretty economical to use. The sulfur smells bad to chiggers. They don't like it. They don't want to be around it. And chiggers aren't the only bugs. They'll drive away. It will not harm your soil, your plants, your pets. There is one side effect when we come to our pets. If you sprinkle the sulfur everywhere that your pet goes outside, it's possible the pet can roll around in the ground. Now, this is usually spread out. One granule is fairly far from the next granule. But the pet could get sulfur on them. It's not harmful to the pet. It just smells like sulfur. And if your pet comes in the house, it may bring in that scent. So that is, that's kind of up to you as to how bad it is, if it's a problem at all. But you may want to start looking at getting that sulfur ready. We have a week of perfect weather. And maybe there's rain after that. I would like to put sulfur down after a rain. If we had four and a half inches this week, and we're going to have at least, at least seven days without rain, that would have probably been a good day today to go out and put down the sulfur. But I'm going to hold out a little. This cooler weather is going to still limit the chiggers. But I am looking at getting ready for it. I Nothing worse than dealing, nothing worse than dealing with chiggers after they've already bitten you. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. Susan, I see you there. I need to take a break. I'll catch you on the other side. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Welcome back, everybody. Let's go to the phone. This is Susan. Susan, what can I help you with? 
Good morning. You were saying it's a good day to work in the garden. Is it too early to sow seed, or should we wait? Well, the question becomes, what kind of seed? Okay. So we should be planting still winter crops or the cold weather crops? Uh, yeah. It okay. would be great if the weather is going to warm up. But this is still great weather for all of the winter crops that we would have put in. Okay. Okay, I'll do that. Well, thank you. Thanks for the call, Susan. Bye. You know, folks, this is a legit question. There is a small gap. If you look at the Travis County Master Gardener's Guide calendar of what to plant and when, and whether they're seeds or starts or crowns or whatever, there's a gap in the middle of winter where the assumption is, is that it'll be too cold. Like I have said before, seeds cannot read, okay? They don't know what that map is. That map's a guide for you. That means you got to make some reasonable assumptions yourself. This is really killer weather this week. It is almost uh, too warm. Now, that doesn't mean that next week or 10 days from now, we don't have a super-duper Arctic blast that just destroys everything. But this week, this is really fantastic weather. This is still, imagine this is very late fall. Or it's very early spring. So whatever you would be planting at that time, looking at the weather, this is uh, a good time to do it. This is a very good time to do it. So up to you as to what you're going to do. Now, the word of warning, of course, I may plant seeds, and this week those seeds will go crazy, right? Perfect temperatures, good soil moisture, yada, yada, yada. And like I said, 10 days from now, we could be surprised with another one of those Arctic fronts that is worse than the one we already had, where we had, what, 30 hours below freezing, and it could be back to the freeze apocalypse where we had 144 hours below freezing. That's the, that's the chances we take with gardening. But like they say, you make hay when the sun shines, and this looks like a great week to be getting some plants in the ground. What happens if we get that hard freeze? Well, you may lose those plants. Okay, plant more. That's the great thing about seeds and starters and things like that. They're relatively inexpensive and you can just, when you lose one, go get another one. Not a real big deal. Now, speaking of seeds, 
my wife has been getting our seed starts going. Uh, got very surprised this year. I have three-year-old sun gold seeds, and she planted 10 of them, assuming that they were older seeds and they wouldn't all germinate. Well, that was a mistake. All of them germinated. So I got more sun golds than I'm going to need. My other tomatoes, uh, one of the other varieties did very well, not quite 10 for 10. And then a third variety, uh, we only put in five. So far, um, only three of them have germinated, just waiting on the rest. So got a heat map, heat mat, Keep saying heat map. It's heat mat underneath things, and they're performing better than they did ever before. The reason we got the heat mat wasn't so much for the tomatoes. We started a bunch of ground cherries this year. Aunt Molly's ground cherry. Uh, that's what it says on the label. It's a famous heirloom variety of seed, the plants produce these awesome husk berries. Imagine they are, they sort of look like miniature tomatillas, paper husk over the berry, uh, lots and lots of them on a plant. The thing is about these plants, you don't pick them. That's kind of neat, isn't it? The plants, the berries are ripe when the berry falls off the plant. So you go out to the plant, you give it a little gentle shake, grab the stem and shake it a little bit, and pick up all the berries that fall on the ground. They keep for a very long time. They're sweet, the taste somewhere between pineapple, vanilla, you know, not super sweet, but delicious. And the size of the berries are nearly perfect because you can take a cup full of them and dump them in um, a cake batter or muffin batter and cook them in, and they are really, really good. The nice thing, too, is they will try hard to give you what you would consider be multiple crops. They don't exactly produce nonstop. You get a big flush and then they kind of catch up and you get a big flush again. And they can kind of struggle through the heat, kind of. And when the weather gets cool again, they should produce again. They're very similar to tomatoes. They're similar to tomatoes. And the only problem is you talk about a tiny seed. I, I don't know of a plant, even poppy seeds. It's a battle as to who's smaller because these seeds are so tiny. And they also take a very long time to germinate. It may be three weeks before they pop through the ground. So with the heat mat 
and we built up, uh, made a, she made a much more acidic type of potting soil, which was recommended. We're going to try to get ground cherries going. Try to get ground cherries going. They're in uh, a very famous farmer's market plant in the uh, northeast. You could go to a farmer's market and buy buckets of these kind of plants. The great thing is they keep for a very long time. I vacuum bagged, um, I don't know, a quart and took it out of the freezer a year later and they still held their texture. They still were sweet. They, they still were delicious fruit. So going to try to get us some again this year just takes a little more to get them growing other than, you know, other seeds. So got to have some patience, uh, build up a special potting mix, seed starting mix. And this year I have a heat mat to help keep the seeds warm. That's supposed to make them germinate sooner. So I'll let you know how they go. The rest of my seeds, rock and roll, folks. They're doing fantastic. I hope these do too. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. We need to take a break for the news. Be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, I got asked a good question here. This is going to take a second of explanation, too. Sorry. What am I fertilizing my seed starts with? Okay. It's kind of a two-part answer here. First off, I'm not going to fertilize the seed starts until they develop real leaves. Not those little seed cotyledons that come up. I want them to produce a true leaf. Until that time, it is not real effective or efficient to fertilize them. They have all their energy they need in the seed. The exception to that, there is one exception, of course, nature has to throw us exceptions, right? Are tomato seeds. One of the M universities, Michigan or uh, Minnesota, I have to, I got to look that up again and, and remember which one it is. Their ag departments did a study and they got a whole bunch of different kinds of seeds and half of them, they, they fertilized from day one and the other half, they didn't fertilize until they got real leaves and they measured the growth. Basically, what they came up with, until that seedling 
it's a true leaf. Until it gets, you look at it and you get, you have no doubt that's a tomato leaf or that is a true pepper leaf or whatever plant you're planting, it wasn't really worth it to fertilize them. It didn't improve their performance in any way. Like I said, with the exception of tomatoes. Tomatoes would take fertilizer the minute you put the seed in the soil. They showed measurable difference uh, in how fast they came up and how fast they started growing when you started providing them with fertilizer on day one of planting. Day one of planting the seed starts. The other types of plants they tested no real difference whether you fertilized them on day one or you waited till they got true leaves from the seed. So someone asked, what am I going to use for a fertilizer? Right now I'm not using anything, not even on the tomatoes, even though supposedly they'll respond to it. I'm looking for a liquid fertilizer. I happen to be out and, um, Something that's kind of a middle-of-the-road thing. Something that's not too much of any one number. Espoma makes a great, a great line of fertilizers in liquid form. And uh, a nursery near me that I frequent carries them. So I, I'm going to be needing to go there and pick some up so that I can fertilize these seed starts and keep them going. But there's no urgent need to get anything until they start growing their true leaves. Now, could I use a dry fertilizer? Oh, yeah, sure. Not a problem. I could dust the top of the seeds, not the seeds, the cells with the potting soil in it, with the seed coming on, I could dust that with the fertilizer, the dry fertilizers. Every time I watered, when I needed to water, it would dissolve that fertilizer and it would feed the plant. I'm just looking at a liquid this time for the convenience. It's easy to take a old pitcher, put liquid fertilizer in it, put water in it, stir it up, and use it to water my plants. So it isn't urgent to get out there to get fertilizer to those seeds. You you want to have it available when they start creating their true leaf. Kale, lettuce, mustard. Um, it, once that seed has gotten rid of those cotyledons and put on real leaves, you, you should have some fertilizer available for it. You will help them grow faster, much faster. Up to you as to what kind you use. And there is absolutely nothing wrong. Let's say you bought 
brand X dry fertilizer for tomatoes last year. And you used it, it worked, and you have some left. You can use that on your current seedlings. They'll be fine. Remember, the plants will do better with smaller numbers. Those NPK numbers, those three numbers on the bag, smaller numbers will actually do better for the plant than something that says 21 nitrogen. That is a clue that it is a conventional fertilizer. Fancy word for chemical. And you're not really benefiting any of your plants by using it. It's too much fertilizer. It's like giving your plants crack. And as soon as they get used to it and addicted to it, they're going to crash when you stop using it. So pick your fertilizer, totally up to you, whether it's liquid or dry. But understand that most of the plants don't need these ridiculously high numbers that you see. They are not benefiting the plant. You're just spending more and wasting fertilizer. The quantity of fertilizer, you may have to check and look at the label. Normally, the labels for the fertilizers are pretty explicit. It'll say, for liquids, it may tell you use this much liquid in this much water twice a week. You don't have to apply a liquid every day. As for dry fertilizers, you're going to look at a bag and it's going to say this bag covers X number of square feet. Depending on the size of the bag, um, that could be a thousand square feet. It could be a quarter of an acre. It just depends on what the formulation is and how big a bag it is. And you can always step it down. If it's a bag and the bag says, I cover a quarter of an acre of ground. Well, I only need to do one five gallon bucket or one little four by four bed. You should be able to go, well, the bag weighs 25 pounds and it covers this much ground. So one pound would cover, divide the 25 into the quarter acre. One pound will cover so much ground and start working your way down from there. You don't waste fertilizer. You don't over fertilize, which is never good for your plants and not good for the water table. You save money by buying the big bag, but sometimes it's a pain to do the math. Doesn't matter. Whatever you feel is the right thing for your plants. Most of our plants that produce fruit whether it's an orange, a tomato, a zucchini, a squash, guess what? To produce the best crops, 
the highest yield, they benefit from fertilizer. You have to fertilize. It just gives you so much larger crop. You do not have to over fertilize. That simply brings you all kinds of bugs coming to eat your plant. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. Got to take a break. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Let's go to the phone. This is Jane. Jane, what can I help you with? Is this mine, Mary from Georgetown? Oh, I'm sorry, ma'am. You're okay. you're listed here as Jane, not okay. Mary. But what can I help you with? I try to raise spinach this fall, and it gets this white stuff on the back of the spinach leaves. So I don't think I can use it, or I don't use it. I tried it in different beds, but it's the same thing all the time. What's that white stuff? Mildew or down- what? Yeah, downy mildew, mm-hmm. and it's relatively easy to get control of. You can spray it with um, neem oil, and mm-hmm. the thing about neem oil is it'll last five to seven days and prevent that powdery mildew or downy mm-hmm. mildew, and you can use um, um Baking soda spray, that will also help break down the powdery mildew. That doesn't mm-hmm. last quite as long, but it will get rid of the powdery mildew for you. Also, those leaves are still completely edible. Oh, really? They may okay. not, yeah, they don't look cosmetically great, but those leaves should be edible. That white looks like dust on them. Um, it's not going to hurt you. It just doesn't help the the spinach, and it doesn't look great. But okay, what's, neem oil what's sol- will work fine. What's the solution on the baking soda spray? Usually uh, it's a quart of water and a big heaping tablespoon of baking soda. And you can help it a little bit by putting like a drop of liquid soap in it mm-hmm. and shake uh-huh. it well. That'll help it stick to the leaves. It's kind of a pain to spray it on the underside of the leaf, but that's where it needs to go. Okay. Thank you so much, and I appreciate your show. Thank you, ma'am. Thanks for the call. Okay. Let's go Bye-bye. to the, this is Shirley. Shirley, what can we help you with? Please, how the, you know, the trunk kind of raise up out of the ground? Shirley, you, I lost all of the first part of your conversation. <laughs> okay. You started again. Let me start over. I was yeah. wondering if it would be okay for me to use gravel around tree trunks while they had kind of you not know, raised up out of the ground. I'm trying to control water level, what, uh, erosion. Um, yes, you can. Now... There's all kinds of shapes of gravel you can get. You I'm going to get the pebble you know, kind, the small one. Yeah, right, right. That'll look good, too. But, yes, you can use the gravel and 
maybe an inch or two thick, maybe. Okay. And just see how it looks for you. That will help with drainage. Okay. All right. Thank you, Jeff. I just wanted to, to know if I could do that. Thank you so much. Thanks for the call, Shirley. Um, yeah, folks, you can use pebble gravel. What do they call that? River stone? They're all smooth. You can use that as a mulch on top of the trees, around the, the shrubs or trees. And the idea being it will help water drain and it can help prevent um, erosion around the tree. The reason for that is soil, when we get rain, pretty easy to wash away. Gravel, not so much. Now, we used to use all the pathways at the Natural Gardener were decomposed granite. That way they drain, we didn't have bad spots, etc. On more than one occasion, we uh, had pretty severe rains and we had literally tons of gravel washed to different places on the property places where it wasn't supposed to be. And we actually had to close for a day to get a bobcat and everybody got a shovel and we spent the day taking all the gravel that was supposed to be further up the hill from the bottom of the hill and moving it. It was a long, long day. And we've had more than one of them. Decomposed granite is light enough that a decent amount of water will move it. The pebbly gravel actually is less likely to be washed away. Less likely. Depending on the rainstorm, man, the rain can just blast it out of there. But normally... It won't go any place. It'll stay there. It'll help with drainage. It'll help prevent some of that erosion. Nothing. How did, I'm sorry, I'm saying that wrong. Water always wins. When it comes to streams and uh, flooding and things like that, Water always wins. You see those shows where it's flooding so bad, you watch houses get lifted off their foundation and float down the river. Water always wins. Um, the biggest rocks, the biggest Boulders, all of that can be moved by water. So never think that doing it once, I'm never going to have to worry about it going anywhere, and uh, it'll do what I want. There will always be the opportunity. There will always be the opportunity for that one rain. And we're getting those kind of awesome sauce storms more frequently now, much more frequently. 
they got 30 days worth of rain in three hours in California recently. Same with Pennsylvania area. So you can use those kind of materials. Just understand there's no guarantee that they won't get washed away. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. We're coming up to the top of the hour. We'll need to break for the news. I'll catch you on the other side. <laughs> 